Tired of ads crashing your comedy podcast party? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts, included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app or visit amazon.com slash comedy ad free. That's amazon.com slash comedy ad free. And catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. And here's your prescription. I know just the pharmacy to get this filled. Who are you? A pharmacy benefit manager. A middleman your insurer uses to decide which medicines you can get, what you pay, and sometimes even which pharmacy you should go to. Why can't I go to a pharmacy in my neighborhood? Because I make more money when you go to a pharmacy I own. <laughs> no one should stand between you and your medicine. Visit phrma.org slash middleman to learn more. Paid for by Pharma. Warning, this podcast contains paranormal, conspiracy, and true crime cases. The nature of these cases may be gory, unsettling, and vulgar. Please be advised. Yo, 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 and welcome back to Creeps and Crimes Podcast. I'm Taylor. And I'm Morgan. And this is episode 20 freaking six. 26? Ew! Oh, oh, oh! 26, 26. I think this is the only thing I'm okay with getting older. Like, I want this to be old as hell. It's just, I want it to age like and good so wine. And so one day we're at 100 and we're like, crap, we didn't do seasons. <laughs> Guys, I could change it at any moment in time. But honestly, it's just not even worth it at this point. It's going to take me all freaking we're day. We're going to do one to 1,000. One to 1,000. That's what it is. No. No sub whatever you call them. Subgroups. Yeah, whatever. We don't need that. We don't need it. We we're need it. we're grown women. We don't need it. Um anyways. Uh Morgan, what did you do this weekend? Well, what did you do this weekend? Because we did thing. this did. thing. <laughs> Me and Taylor and Logan and Aaron and little baby Ollie. Little baby buddy boy. We went out towards Rocky Top, Tennessee. And yes, it's actually a place. It's not just like the universities, whatever. Right. It's actually a city, or not a city, but a little town. And we went on this awesome hike. It's called Three Falls. Oh, God. Three Falls something. A triple, triple, triple falls, falls at Burns Creek? Buns Creek? Yeah, something like it's that. It's in Rocky Top, Tennessee. Anyway, it was super cool. And Ollie got to experience his first hike. And the views were great. 10 out of 10. Taylor and I kind of used Ollie as a little um, break. Because every five <laughs> minutes we're like... We think, tired. we think Ollie needs water. He and the boys are like, he's literally dragging me. I don't think he needs water. And we're, we're like, like he yeah, does. he does. He needs a little freight. Meanwhile, we're in the back like. <laughs> <laughs> but we got great pictures and it was so much fun. And yes. You guys got to see the pictures. Super oh, yeah. cute. Yeah, yeah we posted one on there for them to see. Um, but guys, we're going to let all of our East Tennessee people in on a secret that we found on the way back. So we oh, were looking shit. for a place to eat. And so we're just driving all over this little town. Big argument, might I add, because the boys wanted some pizza place and we wanted a restaurant. We wanted outdoor seating with beer, specifically. So um, the pizza place did not have that. So anyways, so we're driving all around this place. Logan tricks us by acting like we're looking for a restaurant. We're actually going to a Ford dealership to look (laughs) at a truck. I'm like, I am over it. I am leaving this relationship. You are now single. And um, as we're going, I'm like bitching about it too. I'm like, no way. I'm not going to go look at these, blah, blah, blah. And me and Morgan both look out the window at the exact same time to see this like long line and this sign that says mugs. And in the logo, 
is this photo of a like mason jar mug that has ice cream and cookies and cake in it. And we're like, pull the car over. We need to be at mugs <laughs> we're like, right pull now. It over. So we went and got these awesome ice cream and it mugs. Was their first day opened ever. Ever, ever. And, and it, it was, was so awesome. So awesome and relatively affordable. Yeah. They and need to up their prices, I think. Right. That's what I'm thinking, too. Well, our little ice cream queen over here. Um, oh, yeah. They morning. need to up their prices. Yeah. She's back at home. Nope. Lovies? Right. That would have been 12 bucks. There's just nothing like that around here. Like, no, I've never awesome. seen anything like that around here. So if you guys want some cute pics, have some daughters that want some cute pics, or some sons, whatever. Or some puppies, because they have or awesome pup cups with milk bones. You and your best friend just want to go get ice cream in the middle of the night? Or in the middle, middle of the day, because I don't think it's middle of the night. But yeah. anyways, it's totally worth it. Drive there. Go try it. We didn't even talk to them, tell them we're going to put this on, on here. But um, Well, hopefully you appreciate it. Yeah, but. Although I don't think they need our business because. No. It was. Guys, they had a drive through and a walk up. And the drive through was all the way out onto the road. And the walk up was. It took us like. 30 minutes to get right. an ice cream cone. So. But it was or so worth it. Yeah. It was so good. Yes. Definitely check it out. Uh, if you else? haven't seen our Instagram post. <laughs> oh, okay, good. Tell them about it. You need to get on our Instagram. Go look right now. Um, Because we have like a new little studio set up and it's pretty freaking dope. It's Taylor, dope. Tell them about it. You did all the work. So um, we ordered uh, 300 photos <laughs> from Etsy, <laughs> um, oh, black, black and, and white. white, and we did a collage wall. And it is everything spooky to designer to Europe to the beach to Hollywood with all of our favorite actors and artists on it. And it is pretty effing dope. But the best part about it is we got our neon sign in and And it's it's pink. It's beautiful it's perfect it's It's beautiful it's amazing and if you guys go look at our instagram so what we posted on there is we actually posted our vision board that we had made four months ago about what we wanted our studio to look like before we started doing youtube video streams and um we finally got it. Now, the wall's not done completely because I ran out of double-sided tape. Sorry, that was my foot. Oh, it <laughs> tickled like, the hell out of me. a little cold. And um, it is dope, and I love it, and you have to go check it out right now because I... She put her heart and soul into this wall, and it yeah. shows. And it's it beautiful. really was a lot of work, and my shoulder hurts because of it. But we are here now, and it was the best thing I've ever, ever done in my entire day, so... And we can't stop staring at it, so we'll probably probably be blinded by the end of the yeah, episode. Yeah, it's going to be burnt into my... Creeps and crimes is going to be burnt into my Creeps eyes. Creeps and crimes. Creeps and crimes. Crimes. Anyways, go to our Instagram, check it out. Um, oh, we needed to talk about last episode. Oh, guys, we are so sorry. <laughs> it was sorry. an awesome episode. It was I mean, a not dope to be episode. Like, you know, yeah. egotistical, but we really enjoyed the episode, but we were... We're drunk. I was <laughs> smashed. Yeah, that drink. Really we had to take out 10 minutes of the end of the episode. Oh, because no, we, we didn't take out 10 minutes. I took out 30 minutes okay, of the entire we episode. Okay, we were just blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and it was like, <laughs> not even making sentences. It was hilarious. It was bad. Um, but anyways, I laughed my ass off. I wish I could have kept at least 45% of what I deleted, but you guys would have absolutely left us one-star reviews. 
not worth that. Like we said, Jameson whiskey stole the spotlight. It, it really did. And it hopefully truly Smirnoff. Did. Oh, tell them what we're drinking. Oh, oh, actually, tell them about the new series. Okay, so Taylor is like this bartender, whatever. <laughs> and um, we have a new segment. Every, anytime we record, we're going to do creeps and drinks. Creeps and drinks. Creeps and drinks. And, you know, honestly, what's funny is that we've been saying creeps and drinks since we started this. Right. We have. We but really like, no, have. like it's a new it's a new segment now. Right. And we actually made it happen now. So it's actually going to be if you guys don't know this already. One of the things that we do is highlight. that for every episode, there's a highlight. And it has our hint in it and any post that was made specifically about that on our story. So that way, whenever we just post something about an episode on a story, it doesn't disappear and you'll never get to see it again. Or so, if you're like just now listening and you want to know what exactly. episode six is about, you can go back and look at our hints. Right. You don't have six. to go all the way yeah. down on our things. So you guys can go look at that. And I mean, it goes back to our like launch party. Yeah. It's how it's far awesome. back it goes. There's a drink tab that just shows when we've been drinking wine and we've taken Deja the picture. guys. Yeah, Deja Vodkas and um, Murder Mosas. And it goes back far, but check it out. Um, and I'm going to start adding our creeps and drinks at the beginning of each of the highlights. So go check that out because you guys can drink this with us. It is awesome. We called it our Spring Celsi. I saw it on TikTok and I was supposed to make it with San Pellegrino, uh, Limonata, but Kroger was out. So I just got the stuff that tastes like Diet Coke that I hate, but, um, Ice. yeah, it's fine. I can handle it. It's got vodka in it. I could probably put it down no matter oh. what. Oh, okay. I thought we were talking about the mixer. Oh yeah. The mixer. That's what I'm talking about. Oh, okay. But the, the vodka is actually, the reason why I got this is because I'm trying to be skinny. I'm trying to be a skinny girl for summer and my honeymoon. And, um, ugh, sorry. I hate saying that. <laughs> and, um, I got these, this vodka and it's got zero sugar in it. It's only, what was that? Like 30 calories for like, it was low. for like five shots. I was like, yeah. yeah, I was like, it's really low. And, uh, it's the infused lemon and elderflower and they have infused with a bunch of stuff, but I really like lemon flavored things. So I got that and it's their vodka. It's so freaking good. You have to go try it if you haven't already. Me too. I'm a lemon bitch. I've Me been too. one. I'll always be. All my life. Always. Logan was also supposed to get us lemons while he was at Kroger. He came home with jasmine rice. I don't Logan know. also posted our wall before we did. Yeah, and he put the plug in it. But was, he's proud. Not the plug. He's just a proud I don't husband. know really why he's proud because he came in here and I asked him to hold it while I nailed it into the wall. And um, he was like, can you just hold it up for just one second? I've got to go tell the boys. Next thing I hear, pew, pew, pew. I'm like, um, hey. He's like, I'm just, I got to get myself killed real fast. I'm like, my... I got it level finally. I'm my, holding. My arms are cramping. I, I don't. I'm, I'm sorry. What? Like I, I got home at seven fifteen, and I told Taylor, or not seven fifteen, eight fifteen, and I told Taylor that I'll be over here at nine. And I was like, Aaron, you gotta cook dinner. Like I'm just touching up my notes. Right. Can you cook? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm just. Uh, uh, I'm starting another game real quick. I'm like. <sighs> Get out here and cook oh the God. damn burgers. Please just make the burgers. Please somebody hack Call of Duty. And Modern specifically go for our guys. And shut it down. Shut it down. It's over now. Shut it down. I can't live down. like this. Oh, I have to tell them about my big news. Big yes, news? Yes, my big news. My big news is... Dun, 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 dun. Me, a grown married woman, last night at r around 1 a.m., watching Grey's Anatomy in my bed while my husband slept beside me, I had to wake him up to ask him to take a photo of my very, very first 
French braid that I ever did in my hair. <laughs> so I did my first French braid and it looked awesome. And I was just guys for years. It was oh, Morgan. I'm like, what? Can you braid my hair? I have no choice now. I don't live with any girls. So who's gonna do my hair? All it takes is. Practice and practice. Yeah, but my shoulder hurts now. I could say it's from my baby grasshopper from yoga this morning, but I'm pretty positive it's from the baby grasshopper. <laughs> baby grasshopper. All right, all right, all right. Okay, we will get started. We're really with, excited yeah. for this episode. Yeah, we are. Also, yeah, enjoy the warning that we had to put before. Cute, right? It's cute. Yeah. Um, but also, like new listeners, like well, you Do, know, we <laughs> drop right. the f bomb a lot, so. Right. It was important to discuss that. So from here on out, the F bomb is free brain, like free brain, free range. Yes. Fuck. <laughs> we gave you your warning. Okay. We told you. We let you get through the intro unless it's last week's episode because we were fully embracing Irish culture. Okay. Oh, yeah. We were fuckity fuck fuck. fuck. Yeah. That was fun. Excuse me. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. We'll get started. Hit them with the intro. If you're driving, throw that shit on cruise control. If you got a glass, pour that shit up. And, and let's get creepy. All right, Morgan, what do you have for us today? Okay, so today I'm going to be talking about the mysterious events that happened at Dyatlov Pass in Russia. This is more of a true crime, I guess. Okay. But no one understands the outcome of what did happen. I don't want to spoil it here. And there are plenty of conspiracies surrounding you know, what actually took place that night. Right. So my sources are wikipedia.com, nationalgeographic.com, nature.com, allthatsinteresting.com, and smithsonianmag.com. I use all that's interesting today, too. All that's interesting. Interesting. Okay. In 1959, a group of 10 students from the Ural Polytechnical Institute set out for a trek in the northern Ural Mountains in the Soviet Union. Each member on this expedition was an experienced grade 2 hiker and they would receive their grade three certification after this expedition. Ooh. At the time, a grade three was the highest certification that you could get. The group consisted of two females and seven males. And before I list the names, I'm sorry, eight males. And before I list the names, I'm going to abbreviate the last names because there's no way that I can do this without butchering it. And I don't want to be offensive. And I'm already going to have the hardest time with the first name. Right. And sorry, sorry, Marley. Sorry, Marley. Um, <laughs> the two females, Ludmila. D, she was 20 years old. Um, Zinaida K, 22 years old. And the eight males, Igor Dyatlov, 23. Yuri D, 29. Gorgi K, 23. Alexander K, 24. Rustem S, 23. Nikola T, 23. And Samyon Z, 38. And Yuri Y, 21. Two Yuris, one D, one Yuri D, one Yuri Y. Okay. Okay, so all ages 20 to 30. Right. The leader of the group was Igor Dyatlov, um, and he designed a route that would take them up the far north regions of the Servoskle Oblast and near the upper streams of the Iozva River, and their goal was to reach the Ortorten. That's probably not pronounced right. <laughs> anyway, the Servoskle Committee of Physical, Culture, and Sport approved and confirmed their expedition for the group of 10 on January 8, 1959. Once they had returned from their expedition, Dyatlov was instructed to send a telegram back to the sports club, you know, just to confirm their arrival, and they were expected to return on February 12th. On January 23rd, a route book was issued to them, and it stated to follow trail number five. So these trails were already, like, pre-marked, um, and that same day, the group headed on their expedition. 
They arrived by train to a town called Ivdel early in the morning on January 25th. So this is two days after they were issued their book. The group then gathered in the back of a pickup truck and drove three hours to a small village called Vizhai. This is the last town that was inhabited near the mountains. Okay. They stayed the night there and fueled up before their big hike the following morning. This consisted of loaves of bread to gain energy. So they ate some and they packed some. Oh my God, that's like my dream come true. I know, but I couldn't just eat bread. I'd be like, give me this steak. Do we have butter? Do we I have beer? Beer, butter, bread. I could handle that. I could probably handle it too. Yeah, butter sandwiches and beer. January 27th came and it's now the big day. They were beginning their trek towards the Gora or Torton. The following day, hiker Yuri Yudin, so Yuri Y, had to turn back, leaving nine remaining hikers to head up the mountain. Yuri had suffered a congenital heart defect and a rheumatism, and his joints were killing him, and, you know, he was just unable to finish the hike. So Aww. he turned around and headed back to the small town. Dyatlov told Yuri he thinks the trek is going to take a little longer than expected before Yuri departed. Okay. So maybe not February 12th. We'll see. So then there were nine. On January 31st, they had arrived at the edge of a highland and started to prepare to climb. They first put together food and equipment for the hike back. February 1st came and the hikers started to make their way through the mountain pass. The plan was to get over the pass and set up camp on the opposite side. But this is when the weather started to worsen. An intense snowstorm hit the group while hiking through the pass and because of the decrease in visibility, with the snow and the wind, they have lost their direction, and they actually headed west, which is opposite of where they were supposed to head. I will post a map of their um, tra- trail. That way you guys can kind of like follow along with what Team I'm saying. Team Creep Post? Team Creep Post. Yes. Once realizing the mistake, the nine expeditioners set up camp on the slope of a mountain, and there was a covered area less than a mile downhill that would have provided a lot more shelter from the weather. But according to Yuri, Dyatlov would not have wanted to lose the altitude that they had just gained. Because a mile okay. in altitude is a very long hike. Exactly. Then February 12th came and there was no word from the group. No one had worried yet because this was common in expeditions, delays in arrival, and Yuri said it might take a few extra days. Right. Eight more days passed, and on February 20th, the families of the group demanded that a rescue group headed out. Yeah. I would, too. I would have been done, like, three days. I'd be like, all right, time's up. February 15th, time's up. Right. Um, the head of their institute sent the first rescue crew, and this was actually um, a volunteer group of students and teachers, which is awesome. Right. Because they're, like, really nowhere near the school, and they're just... I mean, are these even are these people even, like... Certified hikers. I think so. I think the institute is like very... Okay. Very granola. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, at this point, the army had then gotten involved and they started sending planes and helicopters and people on the ground. And on February 26th, searchers found an abandoned and badly damaged tent. And this is where it doesn't make sense. The tent was half torn down and covered with snow. The group's entire belongings were left in it, including shoes... And the tent was cut open from the inside. Oh, my God. There were nine sets of footprints leaving the scene, heading less than a mile down the hill to the sheltered forest area that I had mentioned before, which that would have been good shelter. Um, At the edge of the forest, 500 meters down from the tent, there were remains of a fire. And this is where they discovered the first two hikers under a large pine tree, Gorgie K and Yuri D. Their bodies were found, no shoes, and only in underwear. Oh my God. It was visible the tree branches 
were broken up to five meters high as if they had climbed to get a better look at something or maybe to get away from something. Okay. Between this location and the camp, three more hikers were found. Igor Dyatlov, Zinaida K, and Rusum S. Again, hardly no clothing and no shoes. Over two months later, the last four hikers were found. On May 4th, Ludmila, Alexander, Nikolai, and Semyon were found under 13 feet of snow in a ravine 264 feet further into the woods from the tree where the first bodies were found. But these bodies were better dressed than the others, suggesting that, you know, maybe they had went back to the other group members to take their clothes for some warmth. Right. The investigation started after the first five were found and a medical examiner was hired to determine the cause of death. The conclusion of the first five hikers was death from hypothermia. And at this time, it was negative 13 to negative 22 degrees Fahrenheit outside. God. Rustin S. was found with a small crack to his skull, but was still ruled death from hypothermia. But then when they found the other four bodies, the investigation had shifted Nikolai was ruled death from major skull damage. Ludmila and Samyon were both found with major chest fractures. And according to the investigator, in order for these substantial injuries to occur, they had to be hit with an extremely strong force. Oh, my God. Comparable to getting hit by a car going 60 miles per hour. Jesus Christ. But then it gets even weirder. Ludmila was found with no tongue, no eyes, no lips. And Samyon was found with no eyes. Alexander was found with no eyebrows. So, I don't know. What are the eyebrows? That. I don't know. I'm assuming, like, the, probably the eyebrow bone. Oh, my You know God. how that you yeah, have that yeah, little yeah. piece of... Gross. Piece of bone there. Michael Malloy's, like, standing in the back, like, what happened to you guys? Right. <laughs> I'm naked and I'm wet and I'm still walking through here. And I got hit by cars. Right. And he's like, I'm, I'm still rocking. What's going on? Um, Among the possessions found at the campsite, four cameras were also found along with some journals. And this allowed the investigators to get an idea of where they were and when they were there. And that's how we're able to come up with these dates of on this date, they headed up this pass. On this date, they had a set camp. Right. Um, All members had died six to eight hours after their last meal. Oh, God. And all showed extensive internal injuries with very little external proof of them. The ruling cause, a compelling natural force. Okay. Okay. The area is now named Dyatlov's Pass. So what happened to them? Theory one, avalanche. The deputy head of the Ural Federal District announced that an avalanche is the official cause of what happened to this hiking group. Avalanches can come with... Little to no signs, basically. Natural Mm -hmm. avalanches, they just happen. There's no, like, foretelling, like, a hurricane's coming or a tornado's coming. There's no signs for it. But the contradiction is that the location had no signs an avalanche has taken place. There's usually debris everywhere, trees down, and a hell of a lot of snow. Right. I have been out west after an avalanche had occurred. Mm -hmm. And literally, it's like... A force so strong that these trees are snapped at the roots. And, I mean, you can tell directly the avalanche path. Like, right. it's visible. And there was no sign like of this there. Path. Yes, mm-hmm. like a tornado path. Um, the first five bodies were found in a small covering of snow, which wouldn't equal out to an avalanche. 
Over 100 other expeditions to this area have occurred since, and none of which have ever reported conditions that may cause an avalanche. Um, the direction that the tent collapsed would have collapsed in a horizontal direction if an avalanche had occurred, yet it didn't. The leader of the group, Dyatlov, was not just an experienced hiker, but an experienced skier. And Semyon, who was the oldest, was also in the process of receiving his master's certificate in ski instruction and mountain hiking. Right. Both of these men, they would have been aware of the signs of an avalanche and also areas to avoid. Um, they just they wouldn't set up camp exactly. for the night in a path that could potentially have an avalanche. Right. Also, the footprints didn't match people running in a panic, but more of a normal pace. And why are there footprints if there was an avalanche? And why also the footprints wouldn't be visible? Right, they wouldn't fucking be there. They wouldn't be there. They would be covered in snow. They wouldn't have been able to really get out of the tent. Exactly. They would you hear been a rumble and it. yeah, yeah, exactly. Theory two, which is oh, we didn't discuss this on camera. Let me <laughs> on camera on ca- on mic on mic. Um, is cat- catabotic wind. Catabolic winds are rare events, but they are extremely violent. Um, they can rush down elevated slopes at hurricane speeds. Jeez. So they're very intense. And they were actually the cause of death for eight hikers out in Sweden. And the cases are extremely similar. Not necessarily without the whole clothes situation, right. but how the way the tent collapsed and, you know, some of the injuries that these people had sustained, they those were similar. And if this were the case it would have made it impossible to stay in the tent and they would have had to seek shelter, which is what they did. Right. Maybe. Contradiction is that it just doesn't explain the injuries or the dispersal of the group. Right. Unless it's throwing the group, the wind is picking up these people and And throwing the group. catapulting these people. Exactly. Right. But I don't understand how it would pick up four people, catapult them in the same direction, pick up three, catapult them in this direction, pick up two. Right. Send them in this direction. Right. So that doesn't make sense. Um, Theory three is infrasound. This theory is that the wind going around the mountain creates a Carmen Vortex Street. And this is basically a repeating pattern of swirling voices. Yes. These vortices then create an infrasound that is capable of inducing a panic attack. So this theory would mean that the hikers were experiencing like discomfort and distress physically and mentally. This then drove them to escape their camp at whatever means necessary, cutting it open. Mm-hmm. Once below their campsite, the sound would have dissipated and they would have eventually calmed down. But it's in the middle of the night right. and it's dark outside and, and it's, it's cold. Yeah. And maybe they were unable to find the camp. The three with the traumatic injuries was from stumbling. Oh, sorry. With this theory, it's saying the three with the traumatic injuries was from stumbling over the edge of a ravine in the dark and landing on the rocks below. Right. The contradiction to this theory is that reports showed there was a lantern left on, making it easy to spot the camp. Mm. Also, stumbling over the edge doesn't result in losing a tongue and two victims having their eyes gouged out of their head and eyebrows and concaved ribs. Right. Theory four, which is honestly the most interesting to me, is military testing. Have you heard this? Yes. The campsite sat in a path of where the military often does parachute mine exercises. Parachute mines detonate while still in the air instead of once they strike the surface like a regular mine. In this theory, the hikers were awoken by loud explosions, escaped in a panic, and then were unable to return where they were. Those that had suffered massive injuries might have been the result of a parachute mine, for example, 
When striked, it produces very similar injuries, major internal damage with very little external damage, which is Mm. what we saw. That's what it was. That's what I'm thinking. And the most intriguing part of this theory is that there are records that parachute mines were in fact being tested by the Soviet military in the area where the group was at the same time they were there. And that makes sense as to why the I mean the military got so quickly involved. Right. Usually it's like Hell volunteers. No. Yeah. No, it was no like military. within 24 hours. Oh, They're like, "Oh, we got to get got the planes, planes out. Helicopters, yeah, what do you guys cover need? some shit up." Right. I don't know. So why are they allowing hikers in these areas where you're testing Well, remember this stuff? the snowstorm sent them west. Oh, so they don't. They went so they very well could have got news that this group was at this location at this time, and they're now missing. And they're like, "Holy shit, we were doing testing at that time. We need to get out there." Right. We need to go help them. Um, in some of the pictures from their camera roll, it was reported that there were glowing orange orbs floating in the sky, which is what descending parachute mines look like. Oh my god. That's what it was. Um, to explain the gou- gouged out eyeballs and tongue and everything from this theory is that it was just scavenging animals. Yeah. Contradictions for this? Weird. Don't have any. Don't have animals? No, I don't have any like contradictions to this oh, theory. Like that's I, what it is. Like I like yeah. Theory five, a similar theory, but with radiological weapons. And this could be from a supernatural force or probably military. Mm-hmm. And this theory stems from the fact that radioactivity was found on clothing and relatives reported their family members' bodies having orange skin and gray hair. Okay. Like from radioactive um, poisoning contact. contact. Yeah. But the contradiction to this is that it would have affected all the hikers and not just some of them. Well, some of them could have been closer. Right. Yeah. I don't know. Or we just all know it was the parachute mining. That's what I'm thinking. That's what I'm thinking. Theory six is the paradoxical undressing. And the entire time I couldn't wrap my head around why on earth would they be sleeping in their underwear in the sub-zero temperature? I'd be bundled the fuck up. And Taylor, you'd probably still be complaining that it was hot. Yep, you're right. I was so ta- say, so I hot. guess, yes, Taylor would probably still be in her underwear. Yes. <laughs> anyway, that this theory kind of shines light as to maybe why they were found clothesless. Paradoxical undressing is often the result of those suffering from hypothermia. Hypothermia can induce this behavior in which they are actually feeling like they are on fire. They're burning. Every day. Taylor is hypothermic. (laughs) Um, Resulting in them removing their clothes. So maybe they ran out of there in a panic, stripped their clothes off because they are hallucinating from the hypothermia. I don't know. Because it's been – my contradiction to this is that it's been – Sub-zero temperatures the entire hike. Right. They know how to um, be preventative in that. Exactly. Like, this is the this is what they do. And on top of that, I'm sure they went in with enough material, I mean, um, supplies. Right, they were prepared. To help them. Right. You know, like like you said, they, they do this, they were expecting it. So what would this West, moving West, have to do with them not understanding what the cold temperatures they were going to be facing? Exactly. Um, Another contradiction to this is that only six of the nine hikers died of hypothermia, and some were found with a normal amount of clothes on. But the first few could have went out. The next group 
could have went out to look and find them. Well, the you first know what I mean? two could have, like, Ricky Bobbied that shit. And, you know, like, just started running out talking about invisible fires and shit. Like, going crazy. And, like, it, I'm yeah. burning in hell. Exactly. And the other ones went after them. Yeah. Um, theory seven, my favorite. Do you want to guess what it is? No, but just tell me. Aliens! <laughs> you knew it was coming. Um, this theory would explain the normal pace walking pattern in the snow. Right. Anyone who has experienced an alien abduction reports being, you know, kind of mind controlled towards this craft. Mm-hmm. This could explain the tent being cut open from the inside. The last four found could have been like maybe the only ones taken, causing the rest of the group to head out and search for them. Or explaining the climbing up a tree to get a better look as to where your friends are. Right. Or maybe all of them were taken and mind controlled to this ship, but they only wanted like the last four. And once those four were taken, they were used as test subjects, explaining the horrific missing body parts. Right. And then dropped into the ravine. I don't know. Maybe this was like this alien crew's like first rodeo and they fucked it up kind of bad. <laughs> yeah. It was like you had one job. You know, like, to make like this normal. is like 1960s, 1950s. Right. And, like maybe the aliens just like aren't like maybe it was a different breed of aliens. And they were like, fuck. They were like, know. God, we thought we were doing it right. We accidentally dropped we butchered them down a ravine. This. We butchered. God. First off. We took their eyes out. I thought they were going to grow back like starfish. I just wasn't expecting we weren't this boss. Really, we weren't really ready for this. They got put on probation, probably. Theory eight is... Oh, my God. There's another one. Oh, yeah. Last, I'm excited for this. Last theory. Theory eight is the urban legend of the Yeti. That is what I was waiting for, bitch. Urban <laughs> legend. Yes, ma'am. This theory basically says it all. Like, I don't need to touch too much on this. It's the Yeti. Everyone it's, knows what the Yeti is. The abominable snowman. He's there. He's, he's there. He's real. Bigfoot Yeti. Bigfoot yep. Yeti. You he's got there. the woods. You got the mountain guy. And there's actually a documentary on this theory titled The Russian Yeti. Le- Sorry. The Russian Yeti. The Killer Lives. Yeah. Maybe when they went west, they stumbled upon the wrong area. Yeah. And this would explain the way their their bodies were found and I don't know. Right. My theory, something supernatural or urban legend. I yeah. mean, come on. I have no yeah. idea. Military probably. That's honestly Pro- that's what I'm leaning most towards. Military's number 1 for me. Yes. And, and then, then number 2 second? is because my true crime, I have to do my hypothermia. Okay. My, my Ricky Bobby's people's on fire type shit. And then, you know, yeti yeah yeah i mean i'm like between like military yeti and aliens and also there's like no way a killer could have followed them out there without being noticed no my god like no one like this isn't like the doings of a serial killer no anything crime related is honestly ruled out there was no alcohol or drugs that were brought onto the trip except for a bottle of alcohol which was like rubbing alcohol like it was it wasn't drinking it was like for injuries they just had a thing of you know jack daniels i'm like yeah that's to keep you warm absolutely no it was like for for injuries and you know what we kind of talked about this before is that the military was really fucking quick to get out there that's what i'm thinking maybe they needed to cover some stuff up because once i got word they're like no you guys can't go hiking up there we got some stuff Right. And then they got misled and ended up in this testing zone. Right. But the only thing that could explain the radiation is military or something supernatural like aliens. Yeah, you're right. And no natural currents like an avalanche or winds could have caused radiation exposure. Why were their eyes gouged out? I still can't get over that. Why were their rib cages caved in? Why was her tongue ripped out? Or maybe there was a killer in the group. Have you ever thought about that? Yeah, but it like, would have been Yuri and he walked back by himself and you know the, the one that was Yuri one who made it back. 
I'm but, thinking him or like, because I, I think the 30, sorry, the 32 year old, 39 year old, whatever, the guy, the older guy, like, I think he was more of like a tour guide. Not a tour oh. guide, but like a safety guy. Like, I know this area, I'll go with you guys. The rest were all college kids. Oh. So, but what satisfaction would a murder suicide done for him? Right. It had to be Yuri. Yeah. It if it was, it would have had to have been. You know, maybe there was tension in the group. There was females, there was males, nothing right, ever but good then happens. How would out of he that? have murdered these people unless he poisoned them with radioactive stuff? Maybe. I don't know. Weird. But it was on their clothes. And well, I think that he outside. turned back so much earlier because of the elevation that he wouldn't have been able to find them, especially because they weren't on their path. Exactly. And he wouldn't have been able to make it to that point that they were at and then turn around unless they were ahead of schedule the entire time because they of that were. detour. Right. Because we only know by his accounts, really, right? Yeah, basically. Um, nobody's going to know what those nine college kids. Nobody's going to know. Endured, gonna know? except for those kids. You yeah, know what I that's mean? that's it. Like, and for the 10th guy to turn back, I either he's a killer or that was God's way of saying, like, it's not your time yet, my man. Right. You know? I bet he has terrible survivor's guilt. In January of 2021, scientists are sticking with that the avalanche is the most plausible theory. Really? That's because, what we're coming up with? Yes. And because because they're sticking with the avalanche theory only makes me think that there's something way, way, way darker about right. that whole situation. There is. Because that was the most... I mean, I would believe the Yeti more than the avalanche. Me too. Me too. Are you kidding me? So. Yeah. My yeah. last thing I have on here is, Taylor, what do you think? But I've, I've told you guys the entire You've now. told me. So. Well, you don't even need to leave a designated spot. That is the case of Dyatlov's Pass and the nine hikers who were... Killed. Killed. Terribly. By the Yeti. And that I hate that for them. Yeah, that stinks. So, and I, you know what sucks even worse is that the government's covering it up. So I hate right. that for y'all even worse. Not even in, I'm not saying like America. Okay. The, America's not even a good like comparison, but like they probably wouldn't have sent enforcements until 24 hours after. Yeah. And like once they got word, they're like, we got our planes, we got our copters. Yeah. And they're like, oh, we're in it. We got our helis. We're yeah. here. Weird. Yeah. I think it was, I think they. Military or something. Yeah. Dark. Or maybe the first four. Okay. Back to the military thing okay. real quick. Maybe the first four got maybe hit by these parachute mines and these other ones came out there and the military was like boom boom y'all gotta go y'all gotta go send a crew out there now radioactive poison them something make it look natural yeah you're right i don't know that's crazy love that story that was the best one yeah love that we should watch the documentary on the yeti one night oh absolutely i think so too absolutely okay add time add time The thing that I hate every morning is doing my mascara. I can live without foundation and lipstick. Thank you, mask, for that. But when I don't have anything on my lashes, I look dead. The thing that makes my morning smoother and my routine faster is having my lash extensions done. Getting them done is no burden, as it is a true beauty sleep that when you wake up from your nap, you feel like a million bucks and hotter than Kim K herself. That's my girl. Lash extensions are new to Knoxville, but not new to the beauty world. Asia K Salon has been in business over eight plus years with nine plus advanced lash courses, allowing them to give you the ultimate best lash experience possible. And let me tell you, their lash beds are comfortable. 
If you mention our names and that you heard us talk about them on our most recent podcast when you make your next appointment, you will receive 44% off. You can find them on Facebook and on Instagram at AsiaK Salon or their website, AsiaKSalon.com. Happy lashing. Okay, Taylor, what do you got for us today? Yeah, we just looked at each other like, are you going to talk or are you going to talk? <laughs> so we just went and filled up our drinks. We switched to, I got a screwdriver. I got a Tito's and ginger beer. I just need a little bit of Flava Flav. Um, mainly because I've been a little obsessed with mimosas lately. Oh my God. I can pound a mimosa. I can, I mean, in third, like... I'll be on the second one and I'll be like blacked out. And I'm like, how does this even happen? It's champagne and orange juice. What is this chemical reaction? You're, do you not remember me at your bridal shower? I don't remember anything that has to do with my wedding. Or the day of your wedding? Because <laughs> we had mimosas at both. I just, we pounded them. And I just, the whole time I kept being like, I'm not drunk. I'm not drunk. My entire wedding, I literally was like, I'm not drunk. Next thing I know, it's end of the night. I'm like, Logan, don't even look at me. <laughs> like, oh, if you guys were on that bus back. <laughs> we're fighting with each other. If only we knew. <laughs> we're like, nobody even talk. Everybody has to go to bed. <laughs> I had to say the bus driver getting off. So sorry about that. Yeah. He's probably like, that's the couple he's like the, the wedding. Those are the people that just got married. And I'm like, if you look at me one more time. I'll kill you. Oh, but also, I'm and like, me and Noodle went I'm at each drunk. other's throats when we got back of our <laughs> bedroom. Because I called dibs and she wouldn't accept it. And I literally was like, I am not dealing with this today. I would have dealt no, with it. No, I don't think you knew about it till the morning. Of. No, I didn't. I knew I was standing on the stairs. Oh. And you were like, I'm not even done. I, I just bit my lip. Okay, hold on. Moving I got to put my, my computer on the charger. Pause. Okay, we'll tell you a story now. We'll stop. Um, so today, the story I have for you, you're probably not going to get by me just telling you the name or the title of the story. So um, I've structured the way I'm going to tell you guys this in a way that would be, if you know it, you're going to know it in the first five minutes. If you don't, good effing luck. Hold on, okay? Oh, crap. So this is not a I'm typical... So ready. <laughs> this is not my typical murder or anything like that. I just felt like I couldn't go from Michael Malloy to my typical family slime, like slaughter. Her eyes were cut off. Her <laughs> hair. That's what I did yeah, today. Her exactly. hair Exactly. Her no, eyeballs were blacked her out. Her eyebrows were waxed off. Wait. Was that about your story? Okay. Her eyeballs were blacked out. Yeah. I think it was. Oh, my God. Okay. That's the TikTok sound for me. Yeah. Okay. Go okay, on. Okay, bye. So, um, so before I give you all the sources, I have to let you know, just like um, the case of Bryceless Pizza, this is the most whacked out way of trying to piece together evidence and timelines and stuff. So, bear with me if you've heard something different. I'm sure it's probably right. You know, yeah. like, so just don't get mad at me. No, I tried my best to piece together everything that I could. Um, and of course, if you want more information, you can go listen to the hour and 30 minute long um, case file, case files, true crime podcast, episode 133, which is where I first 
heard this story. So the story today I have for you is the disappearance of Tom and Eileen Lonegan. So my sources are Case Files, Podcast, Episode 133, Wikipedia, Reddit, specifically Unresolved Disappearances thread post by Mythic Squirrel one and this post was posted two years ago, AllThat'sInteresting.com, AustraliaMissing.com, KirkScubaGear, AdelaideNow.com, MamaMia.com, AU, New York Times, Newspapers.com, Samantha Melanie on YouTube, and theguardian.com. Oh, and AP News. All right. A lot right. of sources. It's a little everywhere, but let's get into it. So here is the introduction into the story. On Sunday, January 25th, 1998, in Queensland, Australia, it was a gorgeous day to be on the water. 26 scuba divers headed out with a charter boat company, Outer Edge Dive, to explore the Great Barrier Reef with five crew members, the skipper being Jeffrey Jack Naren. R.I.P. To the Great Barrier Reef. Oh, yeah. I was like, to who? I was like, I haven't even said anybody's name yet. Shitty. Yeah, exactly. Humans. And this is in 1998. So, like, they were getting to go and, like, actually see what we saw in textbooks. So, um, of the 26 passengers... Nine were certified divers, 11 were student divers, and six were snorkelers. So before loading the boat, passengers were instructed to place their shoes on a rack at the dock. At the dock, typically you don't bring your shoes on boats. And at 8.30 a.m., all passengers loaded the boat and they headed out to their first of three dive spots at the Great Barrier Reef, which was roughly 25 miles off the coast of Queensland. Everything was normal, just like any other diving trip. Each of the divers were logged as they got off and back on the boats, and a head count was taken before each um, departing each of the diving spots. The third and final stop was St. Crispin's Reef, which was a very well-known diving spot, and it's nicknamed the Flower Garden. Though it is well-known, it is relatively exclusive because it only has four moorings to protect the marine life, the marine and the coral life around it. Yeah. Which I just said yeah and right at the same time. You're right. You're right. <laughs> so the divers got into the water at 2.20 p.m. And due to the fact that the water was so warm at this location, because it's almost like the Great Barrier Reef, reef is compared to be like a bathtub. Right. So yeah. it, it basically like that. fills up and then it sits there all day and it gets really, really warm. And then it washes out with the tide and then it fills back up again. So a lot of the divers decided to take off their wetsuits and just wear their swimsuits because the water was so nice and warm. So the divers did that, and the divers had 40 minutes to explore St. Crispin's Reef before being called back to the the boat to begin their one-hour and 30-minute boat ride back to the dock filled with food and drinks. That's always the best part of a snorkeling It is the best part because you're starving. Obliviated, exactly. Yeah, like it's partying, and it's you're awesome. you're dehydrated. Number one, right. so yeah, the alcohol too. is going straight to your blood, which is so awesome. you're immediately hammered, which is awesome. And then they have always just like the best little sandwiches mm-hmm. and like crackers and stuff. I loved it. Okay, yeah, I'll always go. I always get seasick, but I'll go. Um, so the. Boat departed St. Crispin's Reef at 3.20 p.m., and at 5 p.m., the boat docked at the marina. After all of the passengers had left, the crew noticed that someone had left a backpack and a plastic bag on board. Assuming that they would return later to pick it up, they just sat the belongings at the front desk in, like, a lost and found pile. 
On Monday, the next day, January 26, one of the Outer Edge crew members was working another scuba adventure when he came across six loose diving weights at the seabed. He, it was really close to St. Crispin's Reef, so he was almost like, score, hell yeah, we just got some free right, scuba gear. weights, right? Sew it on the boat, and even the owner like was like, score, that's what like his quote was whenever he got it brought to him. So on Tuesday the next day, so this is now two days since the original dive, January 27th, Jack Naren, the um, skipper of the boat that went out on Sunday, realized that the items that had been left behind on Sunday were still at the desk. So he decided to open up the bags and check and see if there was any form of ID so he could return them to the owners. In the bag, he was expecting to find wetsuits, diving gear, and all the stuff that you would need when you get out of the water and change into your dry clothes. But instead, he found two changes of dry clothes and two IDs. Americans Tom and Eileen Lonigan. He then called the hostel that the couple was staying at to inform them that he found the bags and ask if he could drop them off and return them, which is when he learned that the last time Tom and Eileen were spotted was leaving to go on a scuba diving trip two days earlier. Oh, shit. If I was that skipper, I'd be like, um, um, is this on me right now? He goes immediately to check the shoe rack, which is where he finds one pair of men's shoes and one pair of women's shoes that have been left behind. He then rushes to check his own inventory, realizing that he was missing two oxygen tanks, the two that had been rented out to Tom and Eileen. Oh, shit. Jack ordered an emergency meeting with all of the employees to try and piece together this entire situation, trying to talk himself out of the idea that he might have left two people in the middle of the ocean. Oh, shit. So who are Tom and Eileen? 33-year-old Thomas and his 28-year-old wife Eileen were from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. The two had met at Louisiana State University, LSU, go Tigers. Go Tigers. Go Tigers. And on June 24th, 1988, the couple eloped at Jefferson in Jefferson, Texas, where Tom was a mechanical engineer in the U.S. Air Force and Eileen worked as a teacher. In 1995, the couple volunteered as teachers for the U.S. Peace Corps and moved to South, the South Pacific Islands of Tuvalu and Fiji. They were both passionate about people and the ocean, and the couple had logged 80 scuba dives. After Christmas in 1997, the couple packed up and left the Peace Corps so they could move back to the U.S. and settle in Hawaii where Tom would go back to school and hopefully become a marine biologist. So they love the ocean. Everything about Love it. the ocean. So before going home, they decided to knock some things off their bucket list, and they were going to do three months of traveling. Their first stop was Australia, then Indonesia, and finally France. On January 15th, the couple landed in Queensland, Australia, and they were so excited to see the Great Barrier Reef. That was their main reason for going here. And due to a tropical storm, they had to push back their diving reservations and extend their trip in Australia to January 25th, 1998, which was a Sunday, and what had seemed to be the most perfect day in the world to be on the water because of the perfect conditions. Oh my God. So let me give you some case Not specifics. Not the perfect outcome. Not the perfect day. 
So let me give you some case specifics. So for each of the diving excursions, one member was given the task of dive master. So one of the crew members was given this task of being a dive master. And the dive master master is the person that would be in charge of logging each and every passenger's dive. So when they got off and when they got back on the boats. The dive master on Sunday's excursion was crew member Kathy Travers. Mm-hmm. Traverso, Traverso. Kathy T. Kathy T. But it was not uncommon that the crew members would just like switch roles and responsibilities throughout the day because they all wanted to get some water time. So if like a few of the crew members wanted to get and go dive one of the first spots, then Kathy would take over their position Mm -hmm. and they would just return the favor and let her go dive later in the trip because they were all divers too. So while diving, because of the amount of experience, the couple had requested to have the no instructor with them because typically they would send an instructor with you. But they were like basically like pretty well certified. They were almost, I don't want to say professionals because, you know, there's a lot of things but like going on. like damn near. Yeah, they're just like really good at it. They've done, they've been living in Fiji, you know, yeah. like they've been scuba diving and they actually, while they were in Fiji, had the best dive of their entire life and they got to swim with whales. Like they're not just University of Tennessee scuba diving exactly. students that, that get trained in the, in the pool. Quarry. Exactly. So... They were like, okay, you can do this because we're comfortable with the amount of hours that you have logged. So they decided to exercise the buddy team. So basically it was just, they were accountable. They're accountability buddies. Well, accountability buddies. Yeah, buddy system. So according to Kathy's log, at the first two dive sites, the couple had been 10 to 15 minutes late when returning to the boat each time. So at St. Crispin's Reef, they were logged entering the water at 2.20 p.m. Unlike the majority of the passengers, the couple decide decided to leave on their dive gear. So, like, I'm talking fins, wetsuits, 60-minute oxygen tanks, goggles, gloves, swim caps. Like, the whole nine yards. When everybody else is, like... Swimsuit. Exactly. Because yeah. you can only go 12 meters below at this location, and the water was, like, crystal clear. So, everything... You didn't really need to have all your gear on, but they opted to keep it on. However, there was no logged time of them returning to the boat. We don't check the log books. So typically they would. And it was the skipper, Jack Naren. So you have your log books and then you have your skipper. And your skipper is responsible for the final head count before leaving a dive site. Because they're the captain. They've got to go down and they've got to count 26 people plus the five crew members in order to leave. So we'll get back to the specifics later. So I want to, we're going to catch back up with real time. We're back at Tuesday, January 27th, two days after the couple went basically missing. Okay. This is, is this the day he found all this stuff? This is the day he realizes that the bag's theirs, the tanks are missing and the shoes are theirs. So at 8.15 p.m., Jack Naren notifies the police of the disappearance of Tom and Eileen. Police immediately asked who the dive master was, and Kathy said it was me for her first two stops. However, at the last stop, crew member Harold or George, there was like, some people said his name was Harold, some people said his name was George. It was one of the two. H.G. Yeah, H.G., one of them. So, had taken over for Kathy so that she could get in the water at the last dive making her responsible for keeping an eye on all divers. So she was going to be the last person in the boat. Okay. So they just switched jobs. And 
he was like, okay, yeah, she gave me that job to, you know, log everybody, but she was also the last person to get on the boat. So she was supposed to look around and make sure everybody was doing what they were supposed to do, not going below 12 meters and to make sure that no one's going like astray in the middle of this or harming the reef. So the skipper, Jack, asked Harold or George, HG, whichever one, to do a head count and report back to him because he was too busy getting all the drinks ready and getting all the food out, which is when HG, whichever one, let Jack know that he only counted 24 passengers. About that time, they realized that two had two people had jumped off the boat and uh, to cool off before taking back off to go to the dock. So they're like, oh, okay, those are the other but two really, people. really, that makes 22. Really, right? exactly. Okay. So he's like, okay, that must have been 26. They must have been in the water. So after the expedition, a bus was scheduled to pick up the 26 passengers and drop them off at the hotel. This was like structured by the dive site. And this, though it's two different companies, it's not owned by um, Outer Edge Dives. It's something that a company that they work closely with. So the bus was ready to leave when uh, when the driver realized that he was only counting 24 passengers. So he searched in the nearby pub, shops, and ice cream parlor. However, there was no sight of two missing passengers, which were Tom and Eileen. So the protocol for situations like this is to notify the diving company. And they would be responsible for the two passengers' transportation back to their hostel. So the driver alerted the like operations person for this, and her name was Corinne. And Corinne contacted Outer Edge Diving to let them know about the situation. And they gave the bus driver the okay to depart without the couple. However, she claimed to not know who she was speaking with. Remember that? It'll come back. So police then alerted the U.S. consulate in Sydney, who then alerted the families of Tom and Eileen. And the National Headquarters of Australia Search and Rescue was alerted. So now we're getting into the searches and investigation. Okay. At sunrise the next morning of Wednesday, January 28th, a massive search ensued and went on for three days. It was land, water, sky. They had boats out there. They had people out there diving, looking for them all over the Great Barrier Reef. They had people on land, around the shore, seeing if anything had washed up. They had helicopters, you know, airplanes going over and searching the area to see if there's any evidence of the couple. Now, about this time, the story goes wild in the U.S. and Australian media. So it is now everywhere. Their faces are everywhere. Well, behind the scenes, while all this is going on, there was a full-blown investigation going and trying to figure out what happened that these people literally didn't realize that they left two people at sea with Outer Edge. They're like, what the hell? How did you not know that two exactly. people are missing. It has to go through so many people to get approval. Mm-hmm. And everyone just... Everybody's got a job. It. Who's fucking up? Everyone. Everybody's got a job. We knew what you were did doing the before other, we got on here. I might be jumping ahead, but did the other boat that picked up their stuff ever, like, say, like, yo, we found two... Yeah, they let them know. Okay. I remember they were like, oh, yeah, hell yeah, score. We found... Because it doesn't say who they're from. They probably just thought maybe another boat had dropped it off because there's only a handful of licensed dive companies that can go to this, I mean, can go to the coral reef because it's so protected. Okay. Well, eh. Eh. Pirates. Uh, Right. So, um, like I said, the media is going crazy. There's a full-blown investigation going into Outer Edge Dive. And so they're like, 
hey, what was the rush? You know, like what was going on that there was a major rush for you guys to leave and not pay attention to the amount of people you had on? And they're like, well, you know, we were having to get out the food and the drinks, but also we were 40 minutes behind schedule. And they're like, okay, but also on top of that, like you're about to have to make a 90 minute drive back to shore. Wouldn't you want to be sure at least that last time, like just do a triple check before we leave for an hour and a half voyage back, Yeah, you know? And they're like, yeah, but we were 40 minutes behind schedule because this couple was 15 minutes late every time that they were returning. Well, then if you know that they're 15 minutes late every time. Why wouldn't you wait 15 minutes? Why wouldn't they be late the last 15 minutes? And why wouldn't you triple think like, hey, we have that couple, that one couple that's always late and annoying the hell out of me. Why are they not here? Did anybody see them? Because that would be the first thing I'm thinking. Me too. Yeah. So. Was it, sorry, was it a head count or was it like Taylor Hooker or Taylor Fetzner here, Morgan Mounts here? Right. So it's or like. Was it just one, two, three, It's four? not like a roll call. It's okay. because why would they do a roll call when they have people checking people in and out as they're getting off and getting back on the boat? There's only one way to get, there's only one door or one gate mm-hmm. that gets you on and off the boat. Okay. So these crew members explain this. Who were those divers? Tom and Eileen. They had held up the trip. They were the ones that were late every time. Why were we not checking? So let's go into a little bit of the aftermath, okay? So on Sunday, and discoveries. On Sunday, February 1st, an inflatable life vest washed upon the beach um, roughly 40 miles or 65 kilometers north of where the couple was last seen. And written on the inside of the vest, it said Tom and uh, Lonergan, U.S. Peace Corps, Fiji. So it was his. Yeah. Exactly one week after that, on Sunday, February 8th, a scuba diving fin washed ashore, and it was on the remote island of Indian Head with Eileen L. written on the inside of it. It was 50 miles or 80 uh, kilometers north of where Tom's vest was found. And over the next few weeks, more belongings washed ashore of the couples. It was an underwater camera, two oxygen tanks, Eileen's life vest, and cap. Around the same time, employees of Quicksilver Diving Company discovered a woman's green and gray wetsuit that was Eileen's size and said to have been hers. There's no proof that says it because it didn't have like her name written on it. Um, but it was hooked on the side of a pontoon boat when they found it. So the wetsuit was examined by scientists from the University of Queensland, and they determined that the um, growth from the, what's it called? Not plankton. Algae? No. Uh, Coral? God, something, what is the name of that? Y'all know what I'm talking about. The, um, nope, I don't think they do. The, oh my God, it, I, the name looks like it autocorrected here because I obviously spelled it wrong, so I can't think of the name of it. The, what does plankton live in? The, the chum bucket? <laughs> yeah, the chum bucket. Okay, so the, the chum bucket, the, 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 okay, whatever. 
I'll think of it here in a minute and I'll come I'm back. I'm no marine biologist. <laughs> there was a I'll growth on the zipper. And it starts with a B. There was this growth on the zipper that's typically there whenever something's emerged in the water. And they were able to determine that because of the growth of it, the wetsuit had been fully submerged underwater since January 26th. So the day after the um, couple went missing. So basically saying, yes, it is hers. So on this wetsuit, there were tear, tear marks down the side and around the butt of the suit as a result of being rubbed against coral really roughly. So, because Eileen's wetsuit wasn't custom-made, Case Files host basically explained that it would have caused extreme chafing around the back of her arms and legs after just a few hours of wear. So, basically, she would have been in hell after just being in the water for more than an hour. So, let me give you some theories thus far in the case. One of the theories is that Eileen, in a desperate act to relieve the pain that she was feeling from the chafing, had ripped off her fins and taken off her wetsuit and was just basically in the ocean treading water. Without her suit and fins, it would have taken absolutely no time at all for her to become extremely exhausted and dehydrated and falling unconscious and drowning. Another theory is that the couple may have faked their own deaths. Oh, so shit. this is because of the perfect sea conditions at the time that they went missing, which would have made it very easy for the couple to make a six kilometer or three mile swim north to a brightly lit pontoon boat that was permanently anchored at Agans Court Reef. Supporting this is the fact that the couple kept their wetsuits on at St. Crispin's when everybody oh, else took them off. Because it was only a 12-meter dive, like I said, and the water was super warm. So why wouldn't you want to take off that right. very thick oh, thing? Oh, shit. Another thing is that the quality of their recovered items, it almost implies that they were willfully and intentionally discarded to create the illusion that they were lost at sea. My final weird coincidence with this theory is possibly being true is that in 1985, a 43-year-old man named Milton Harris from Baton Rouge, Louisiana, who was also a member of the couple's church, faked his death by falling off of a ferry boat in New Zealand in an attempt to get his own life insurance money. Oh my God. Exactly. That's what they did. Well, just hold on. Well, this seems pretty unlikely because really. their insurance policy was only uh, $45,000 okay. where Milton Harris's was $2.8 million. Okay, and the well. couple's bank accounts had remained untouched since their disappearance. And also, how would they know ahead of time that the crew would not do a proper head count before leaving? Right. Unless the skipper was in on the plan. Exactly. So what discoveries were made in the couple's personal items that were left behind? So after the police conducted a search of the couple's hostel room, they discovered that the couple's passports, traveler's checks, and personal diaries were in a safe. Due to many entries that the couple's uh, separate personal journals, journals had, police were able to determine that a lot there was a lot more to unpack with this case, especially with Tom. Though the contents of the diaries were hidden from the public and highly classified, rumors began to trickle down. Basically, people began to believe that their disappearance was not faking a death situation, but more of a joint suicide situation or, worse, a murder-suicide because of Tom withholding information about his plan to do so and basically forcing Eileen to commit suicide with him. 
What the fuck? So on April 22nd, 1998, police announced that they there were a lot of new leads in the case after the skipper from Quicksilver Diving Company, who was taking a group of Italian tourists out the next day um, after Tom and Eileen had gone missing, was returning to shore when he heard two Americans talking on board. And the final head count before letting all the passengers off the boat accounted for three more passengers than when the tour began. Three? Three. On Friday, June 26, 1998, two fishermen were floating in the mangrove swamp near Archer Point, which is 175 kilometers or 100 miles north of where the couple went missing, when they came across a beaten up diver's slate. Now, a diver's slate is like... It's used for divers to communicate underwater. Think of like a whiteboard situation, but specifically, do you remember when we were little and you had those like magnetic boards that you could write on yeah, yeah. and that shit wouldn't go away forever? Like you'd have to right. literally take the, Erase the thing yes, a million times. Exactly. Yeah. But it's the, the magnetic ones with the pen. It would bring the little lead to the front. Probably. Yeah. Do they even make those anymore? Are those like super Probably dangerous? Not. I don't, you know, I don't know. Whatever. So this is what it said. Monday, January 26, 3 p.m. Please help us. We have been abandoned. Come to rescue us before we die. Help. Scientists concluded that the slate had been underwater for months, and handwriting specialists concluded that it was for sure the writing of Tom. After this, the case was closed. And according to the report, nine officers had intensely studied this case for six months, concluding that Tom and Eileen had left had been left at sea because of the negligence of Outer Edge Diving Company. It was also then that it came out, Corinne, remember the lady I told you about that was, uh, you know, the operations director between the, uh, basically the coordinator between the bus company and the diving company. She actually did know who she was speaking with. She was speaking with Jack, Jack Niren, the skipper of the boat that day. However, she wanted to protect him because she figured that he must have felt very terrible for leaving people out at sea. So he knew the day of. She knew the, no, no. Yeah, he knew the day of that those people did not get on the boat and that he had two bags left over and probably that he was missing two things of oxygen tanks. And on top of that, he probably realized that there was two pairs of shoes left in there. Right. So... In the courtroom during this trial, it was crazy. You can read about it. You can listen to it on Case Files episode 133, as I've said a million times, to hear all the details. But basically, it was like the scene from like a soap opera. It was crazy. They were just there. They were just throwing out shit and like really chopping people's necks off at that point. They were really going in for the jug. So basically, if you want to listen to it, go listen to it. Basically... The skipper, Jack Naren, had took all responsibility because it was his vessel and his mistakes that led to the unlawful killing. But all in all, it changed uh, all of the laws and regulations for scuba diving in Australia. And then Jack Naren went on trial on on went on trial and on Wednesday, November twenty fourth, nineteen ninety nine. Jack Niren was found not guilty. However, Outer Edge Dive was fined after pleading guilty to negligence and went out of business. But basically, Jack Niren lost everything that was his, and it was because of one mistake. 
of not being able to do what, that. Wait, whatever happened with the boat that had two extra people? I'm going to bring you back there. Oh, I'm okay. going to bring you back here. Okay. Don't worry. It's I'm not just, like a closing statement. I, right I'm there. wrapping up the the like facts of the case okay. at this point. So the facts of the case is that he was found not guilty of manslaughter, basically, because there were no bodies to prove that these people are dead. Right. And then everybody else is like, it is absolutely crazy to think that this couple would not you know, that would kill themselves. They are literally servants, blah, blah, blah. But then what's going on in their diaries that changed the entire course of this case for months? Right. So this is where my little friend on Reddit comes into yes. major help. So I'm going to just It's probably Tom. Tom is probably, what is the name? Tom, the Reddit name? Uh, oh, Mystic Squirrel One. That's Tom. Tom. It's Tom. So basically, I'm going to tell you what was found in these diaries. So I'm basically just going to read this word for word. So this is in quotes um, of the off of the thread that I um, cited earlier. So this is what Tom said. This is what <laughs> this is what Mystic Squirrel One said. Tom. Tom. Whatever. So six months before going missing, Tom wrote in his journal. Like a student who has finished an exam, I feel like my life is com complete and I am ready to die. As far as I can tell from here, my life can only get worse. It has peaked and it's all downhill from here until my funeral. Heal. Excuse me. All right. Continuing to read. Just weeks before the couple's final dive at St. Crispin's Reef, Eileen wrote, Tom hopes to die a quick and painly death. Painly. Okay. That's what it's quotes. So, painly death. He hopes that it will happen soon, too. Tom's not suicidal, but he's got a death wish that could lead him to what he desires, and I could get caught in that. That's the end of quote from hers. Then, Mystic Squirrel goes on to say that Tom's entire journal was like that, and both of them wrote about how they hated their jobs. These details, of course, were openly, were open to the possibility instead of, like, a tragic accident that, you know, like, basically, he's saying, or they, Mystic Squirrel, is saying that this could have just been them being dramatic in their journals. I mean, God, please or no one read my journals. it could have been a Romeo Juliet. Exactly. It could have been something like that. But basically, it could have like enacted some sort of like a suicidal pact. And with that in mind, this is what Mystic Squirrel says, not being included to the head count would have been an absolute help to their plan. But if the crew aboard the Outer Edge noticed that their plan was uh, was going on, would it have still been successful? So like basically saying... They knew. Did they know? Did they because pay them off? Now let's let me back up to the trial. Everybody except for Jack Niren had taken like a, the taken their plea of silence. Like I, I, they're not talking anymore. Yeah. So they refused to give any more information to the case. He was the only one from Outer Edge Diving that was allowed to speak. Shit. Yeah. So they all took this, like, pledge of silence. No one talked about anything else. And he was the only one that was allowed to speak, and he went down with the ship. So here's one more thing that I just think is so weird, is that the night before, so Saturday night before the couple went on their diving quest or with Outer Edge, they the Outer Edge company oper operations manager received a call 
and it was from Tom. And he asked specifically if the boat would be visiting Agen Court Reef. Agen Court Reef. Do you remember when I mentioned this earlier? Yeah. It was where the pontoon boat that is there year-round all the time, that was only three miles away from St. Crispin's, was hooked up to. Uh-huh. So they asked if he was going there. They're like, no, we're not, but we'll be three miles away from it. And then... They're like, three miles? It's an easy... It's an easy right. Swim. Like, they could do that. And then they kept all of their gear on, blah, blah, blah. So there have been claims that there are sp- uh, spottings of the couple all over like there are people that like still on reddit to this day are on here and like no i know this couple but specifically the craziest one is a woman who owned a bookstore in port douglas which is where the um the marina was that the in queensland that they were taking off from said that a couple walked in two days after they disappeared and bought maps and six postcards they realized that this couple was american but they weren't like typical Americans, which typical Americans are super chatty, talking your ear off, asking right. you what to do around here, a.k.a. my husband. <laughs> and um, this couple was very, very silent. They bought it and they got out. And then the next day, they noticed the store owner was like, oh, my God, that is a couple that came in. And specifically, she said, oh, where are you guys visiting from? They said, well, we're Americans, but we live in Fiji. So where do you think they are now? I have no idea. Because they're not dead. I have no idea. I don't think they're dead. There's no way. They if there would have been, if there would have been a shark attack, something would have come up, you know, to the water. He said in his journal about his funeral being the next peak of his life. Exactly. And apparently, there was an unfinished journal entry the day before they left to go. So like Saturday night, there was an unfinished journal entry, and it was, "I can't wait to give my wife the next gift." Something happened. This was They're a suicide pack. Or they disappeared. No, I don't think they committed suicide. I think that whole entire thing was staged. These are trained, like, scuba divers. Yeah. You know, like... And for him to ask about where the pontoon is, mm-hmm. he had other means that would meet them there at, you know, 40 or an hour after the boat leaves. Oh, oh, oh. Here's another theory. Guys, there's a billion. You guys just hop on Reddit. Or pirates. I read about 579 billion theories. I couldn't think of any that I really just wanted to I'm getting to on Reddit up. tonight. Yeah, I didn't want to type up any for you because I want you guys to go look into it. The four years that I've known this case, it's just taking me down these awesome rabbit holes that you guys have to be a part of. But basically, there's this one, and it's that... So, you know how, like interstates interstates there's always like a t-dot camera in tennessee so like the tennessee whatever and it's showing you like the traffic in the area well in the ocean they have like current trackers and stuff like that and it's not necessarily cameras but it's like a radar it's like a radar and so it accounts for all the boats that are in the area So before you leave, just like when you're flying or whatever and you're working with a company or even when you leave from this area in the coral reef because it's so protected, you have to let someone know like the Coast Guard, not the Coast Guard specifically, but basically short. You have to be like, hey, we're going out today on an excursion. We're going to be in this area, blah, 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 because this area is so protected. Well, there was a boat that wasn't accounted for the next day Mm -hmm. after their disappearance that had come through. But it was completely and utterly, like, 
taken away from the public. It was brought up and then it was stripped out immediately. Yeah, they know. Yeah, and you know another thing that's really weird, which I have, they might just be very forgiving people. Something about Southern people and forgiving their, you know, kids' murders. But Eileen's mom and dad went and hugged Jack Marin after this they entire feel bad situation. For him. Because he was a part of it. He knew and he had to do it. What? How do you think, like, they got him to do it? Money? Maybe. Maybe they were like, we'll give you money. We, you know, we're going on this thing. And he had, in the, they were like, look, there will be no track of us. And we'll make it look like it was our fault. It's got to be a lot of money because he just lost everything. Right. He lost everything. His or they he and his dirt. wife lost. They their like boat. did research, and maybe they're really screwed up people. Maybe and they, they blackmailed him. Yeah, but like I feel like these people are like missionaries and stuff, living and teaching schools. And you know, you, you, she's giving me the look like bitch. Mm-hmm. It's always those people. Yep. All right, that's the end of my story. Wow, the, I can't wait to go in a rabbit hole. I'm serious. I know it's crazy. Like these, I totally don't think that they're dead. You and if they get, are, rest come in, in peace. with your conspiracy theories of what you think are the most probable ones. Because for me, I'm trying to think logically about it. Like maybe they did get left behind and they just no. died, and that maybe they're stuck at the bottom There's of the coral. Too reef. many. Like, but why have they not come up yet? Well, probably. But you know how freaking easy it is to change your name change your appearance change in 1998 holy hell do you know how big the world is right and they and they had that idea in 1998 the social media was not a thing right and people didn't travel well people traveled but people didn't like move the way that they were moving you know like typically we were still kind of in the people chances are he's probably a marine biologist in hawaii Bitch, you're probably right. Under a different name. Exactly. So that is the case of wow. Tom and Eileen. So check that out, guys. If I you loved want it. if you want a better That's explanation crazy. of a bunch of shit, go listen to case files. Um, but I just love that case. I think it's crazy. That's crazy. Yep. So uh that's my story. Hit up Reddit. Hit up Reddit for sure. Morgan, you gotta bring us something. I will, I will for next I'm gonna, week. I'm gonna hit it up probably tonight. Because I'm not going to be able to think about it. The whole entire time you were telling it, you did such a good job that I was imagining that I was on the boat. I was in the Great Barrier Reef. And then I was in the bookstore. Oh, there's a really there's good. a movie that's based off of it. Oh, no, I haven't seen it. And but I felt like I was in your story. What is the name of the movie that's based after it? So that Because I feel like a lot of people are like, I know that plot. Hmm. It okay. The name of the movie that it is based, at, I mean, that is modeled after it is Open Water. And it was like a low budget film that came out in 2003, but it was inspired by their disappearance. Oh, I'm thinking you're talking about Bethany Hamilton. No, 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 no. Yeah. Anyways, that is my story. Not it. <laughs> Check it out. Thanks um, for tuning in. We appreciate you guys. We did not say follow us on this, this, and that at the beginning of the episode. So. If you're still here, follow us on Instagram at Creeps and Crimes Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Creeps underscore Crimes. Follow us on TikTok at Creeps and Crimes. Personal Morg dot M double G. Mine is Taylor J with an A. And if you don't already, hit that subscribe button. And we don't have any TFUs for today. Just besides the fact that we couldn't speak today, the entire episode. I have literally been, my tongue is in circles apparently. I don't know what's going on. Logan, shut up. <laughs> Puck.
that. All right, we're leaving, guys. Thanks so much for listening to episode 26. We'll see you next week for episode 27. I know he didn't interrupt us twice. Twice, guys. Bye. Oh, we're still on bye. (laughs)